This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. All right. Hello, mindful listeners. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us here. I have got a guest, a repeat guest. Yes, Dr. Nicole Avina. She's a PhD assistant professor of neuroscience at Mount Sinai School of Medicine and a visiting professor of health psychology at Princeton University. Smarty pants. Dr. Avina, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks so much. I'm so glad to be back. Yeah, so after we talked the first time, um, I was, you know, scrolling around on your site and getting all this great information and realized that you have two books. Um, One, which I love, What to Eat When You're Pregnant, because boy, oh boy, I get a lot of those questions and it seems like there, there is some information and as well some misinformation out there and women in generally, in general, in my opinion, are confused. So that's great. But today we're going to focus on What to Feed Your Baby and Toddler, which is another book that you have out. So congratulations on those. Oh, thanks so much. And yeah, I, I'm so glad that we're you know doing this and talking about this because it is such an important topic and there's so much information that can be valuable to women and new parents, especially when it comes to understanding about what to eat not only when you're pregnant, but also what to feed your little ones. And there's so many questions that surround that topic. And that's really what inspired me to, you know, write the book and help people to learn more about it. Yeah, because I, I you know, I don't think that, I mean, I know there's a lot of parenting books out there, but there really isn't a textbook of like, okay, this is how you do it. There's not an instruction book to get it all right. And I think that new parents sometimes are like, oh my gosh, this is one of the most beautiful things that's ever happened to us. What now? <laughs> and they're scared. Right. Yeah. It's true. It's very true. And there's so much anxiety around it when there doesn't always have to be. And I think, you know, it's really helpful when parents can read about the research studies that have been going on looking at the role of nutrition early in life and how it plays such an important role in health outcomes later on, in cognitive abilities later on, in immune responses later on. And we're just learning so much more about how this first thousand days of life is just so critically important. And one of the things that we really can control is nutrition and what kinds of foods babies are exposed to and their diet in these early stages of life and how that really can have an impact later on. I think that's such important information for the parents and then hopefully that parents to pass down to the kids because nutrients, I mean, you know, I tell people this all the time because of course, uh, the natural supplement industry is a bazillion, if that's even a number dollar industry (laughs) and it's an industry, right? But nutrients, let's just say all by themselves. If you ever take a biochemistry class, like I know you have, but listeners out there, it is just, it's almost like, it is is like taking a nutrition class because all of our biochemical processes are fueled by a cofactor. They've got to have this enzymatic reaction to make them happen. And that is fueled by, you know, nutrients, vitamins, minerals. So we're talking about foundational health and the foundations of health and much, much more than just a couple aisles at your local health food store. So really important exactly. distinction. Great information to get out there early to the parents. And then, of course, hopefully those parents will do the job and pass it down, how important diet and um, nutrition are. So when we talk about babies and toddlers, now they're so young, right? And they haven't had time to get kind of pushed around by our our ever increasingly toxic environment on earth, et cetera. But are they at risk for nutrient deficiencies? Yeah, and I think this is really one of the, the big things that a lot of parents have questions about and are 
surprised to learn about when they, you know, hear about the research that's been going on in this space. You know, what we have when babies are born, you know, from birth through six months, they're living off of either breast milk or baby formula. And then around that six-month time period is when we start to transition into letting babies have solid foods. And so usually that's a combination of vegetables and fruits and, you know, other things that babies kind of work their way up to, depending on the parent's preferences and discretion. And, you know, what happens is when we start to feed the baby solids, we find that especially if, you know, people stop breastfeeding or, you know, the baby's consuming maybe less formula because they're now getting this supplemental food, that they are at risk for developing nutrient deficiencies. And, you know, we tend to focus so much with babies on how much they're eating, like the volume and, you know, how many tablespoons did they eat and, you know, how many little jars of baby food did they eat. And it's really not about that. It's really about what is the nutritional value of the foods that they're consuming. And I think that, you know, it's important for parents to realize that, you know, you can have a baby that's eating plenty of food, but they might actually still be nutrient deficient because they're not getting that variety of foods in their diet that one would need in order to have all the nutrients that are needed, all those micronutrients that are needed in order to, you know, support healthy development. Yeah, that's a great, that's a, that's a great point. Um, There's another thing that comes up all the time. Well, let me, I first want to talk about one thing, you know, there are two questions that um, I started to add to my intake uh, in the last couple of years, as more and more information about our microbiome started to come out and how it's influencing health as we grow. And as you said, you know, nutrition, nutrients, diet um, do inform uh, the Im- immune system as these, you know, tender years, these first years of a, a baby happen. And the questions are one to my patients, when you were born, was it a natural birth? Meaning, was it not a C-section? Because... Mm-hmm. Realizing that, you know, the first pass through the mom's vaginal canal is really where you get your first pass of um, bacteria to to inform your microbiome. And people that are born from C-sections, they get different bacteria. That's a sterile environment that they're, so they get bacteria like from skin. And there is some research out there that these babies can have a difficult time with learning, developing, and or immune system. And so... That is definitely a question that I put on there. And as well, were you breastfed or not? Because I feel like that also can give us some a window of insight into what might be going on, even as these folks are adults. Yeah, no, it's so true. I mean, we, we really are just starting to understand more of what we need to know about what these early life experiences mean for our gut health and for our ability, you know, to digest food differently. Um, And so I think it's so important that, you know, parents are aware that, you know, there are some new studies that are suggesting that, you know, whether or not a baby's breastfed or not, or whether or not, you know, someone goes through a C-section or not, that can have an impact. And it can have an impact on the types of things that the baby's exposed to early in life that we now are finding downstream can affect their digestive systems. Now, it doesn't always mean it's in a bad way. I mean, I, you know, I can speak from personal experience. I had two C-sections and my kids weren't breastfed and, you know, they're totally fine. It just means that it, it's something for pa- parents, especially to be aware of, to be sure. on the lookout for. 
because it might mean that, you know, maybe if your baby wasn't breastfed for whatever reason or experienced a C-section, that they might need to be exposed to prebiotics and probiotics earlier in life than you might expect, you know, a baby who's breastfeeding would be because they're receiving those prebiotics and probiotics from the breast milk. And so I think that it's just so important for parents to just know about this stuff. doesn't mean, you know, you did something wrong because your baby wasn't breastfed. It just simply means that, you know, there might be a way that you would supplement their diet. Um, I think that's a, a big thing that, you know, parents are kind of not really all that aware of the fact that, you know, there are cases where babies do need to be supplemented. Um, sometimes the foods that the babies are eating, especially if you have a baby that's really gassy or colicky and can't really, you know, keep down a lot of these different foods when you start solids, sometimes it is necessary, you know, to look into a supplement to, you know, help offset some of these, you know, things that could be occurring that we could rectify um, with nutrition. And so I think yeah. that that's important for parents to keep in mind. So when it comes to back to food, um, when is the best time to start actually introducing solids to a baby? You know, there's been a lot of controversy about this. And, you know, years ago, I think 15 or so years ago, people said, oh, between four to six months would be like the kind of range that you want to look at depending on your baby's size and their, you know, how they're, you know, responding with holding their head up and different developmental milestones. But now, you know, the research has really come out that suggests the longer you can wait, the better. Um, You know, I advise that people do not start before six months, and there's a few reasons why. One is because there's so much research now that's shown that just because your baby might be physically developed and might seem like they're physically ready for food, that doesn't mean that their insides are developed. It doesn't mean that their gut is developed. It doesn't mean that their body is going to be able to process solid foods. So I think it's important to, you know, wait as long as you can. It's also important to remember that the food that the baby consumes in the first year of life is really complementary. The majority of their nutrition should still be coming from the baby formula or from breast milk or from a combination of both. And so, you know, really that first year of life, when you start to feed that baby after six months, it's about getting them interested in eating healthy foods. And I tell people, you know, don't worry so much about whether or not they're eating the food per se, but more about getting good, healthy feeding habits, exposing them to a variety of different vegetables, exposing them to fruits that, you know, are going to be unique and different so that they have that experience with tasting a variety of different things. It's just going to make things all the more better for them And allow them to get exposed to all kinds of different nutrients that they wouldn't get if they were on that, you know, kind of that bland old diet of peas and carrots, apples and pears that is sort of like, you know, what our mothers were advised to give us. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, that's a great point. And I know that there's been some confusion out there from the moms that I've talked to. And I think that I like your recommendation, not before six months. Um, and then that first year that food is kind of complimentary. We're still supposed to be getting a lot of those nutrients in the, in that first year, um, from either mom's milk or, or supplement there. So yeah, I'm going to go back to the, the nutrient deficiencies. Can you talk about the common deficiencies that are seen in babies and what folks can do to help correct them? Yeah, so one of the big ones that we see that you really do need to think about using a supplement for because there's really not really much of a safe way to get it via food is um, vitamin D. And so, you know, obviously, like, 
babies have such sensitive skin, they really can't be in the sun for long at all, if at all. And what that can often result in is babies are often born having a vitamin D deficiency, and that carries on through that first year of life. Um, it's something that's actually a bit more common among breastfed babies, um, just because sometimes the baby formulas that are being utilized are fortified with vitamin D, so those babies are getting a little bit of extra vitamin D. But babies who are breastfed are sometimes at risk for developing vitamin D deficiency, and it's largely because you know, we usually get it from the sun. And if we're not letting our baby go in the sun, then, you know, obviously they're not going to get it. And they often get it from fortified foods like, you know, milks and cheeses and other, you know, dairy products that often have vitamin D added to them that we don't necessarily give to a baby that's that young. And so I think it's important to keep in mind that there's options to supplement. Um, if you Even for babies who are, you know, just a few months old, if it's advised and agreed on by your pediatrician, because having a vitamin D deficiency can result in, you know, irritability, lethargy, and over time it can have an impact, you know, for a prolonged period on, you know, bone health, heart health, and even immune health. And so it's something to consider. And there are options out there even for little ones, like, you know, eye drop um, versions of, you know, droppers of vitamin D, like uh, Child Life Essentials makes an organic vitamin D3 drop that is excellent, and it's something that you can give babies, you know, from birth on. And that's a great way to supplement for vitamin D if, you know, they're not getting enough of it in their diet. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Vitamin D is so important. And it's so funny we call it a vitamin because I feel like it's, it's really just, it's a really a hormone, but it does have so much to do with so much to, to be, to be vague in our bodies and having right. optimal levels from babies on up. I think can inform a lot of things like pain and immune system and prevention of disease. And so optimizing those levels and making sure those deficiencies are not there. So when the baby kind of grows up into a toddler, what do you think about sugar? Because I have to tell you, um, I have somebody in my family, and I'm going to definitely keep this big just in case somebody's listening, yeah. who <laughs> uses sugar to kind of shut their kids up. You know, it's like one of those things like, yeah. okay, okay, here, okay, okay, here. And I see it happen, and I am just mortified because I'm thinking about the consequences of that behavior, first of all, and that reward, but also the amount of sugar that that toddler is being fed and the palate that is being trained. Um, can you talk to me a little yeah. bit about that? Tell me I'm not crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you are not crazy at all. I'm so glad you brought this up because this is something that I've spent so many years doing research on looking at the role of sugar and the brain. And, you know, in recent years, we've been doing a lot of studies looking at how sugar affects the developing brain, so babies and toddlers and young people. And, you know, I, I can relate. I'm a parent. I have a toddler, too. <laughs> and I know that it can be a struggle, you know, especially when you're trying to get them to cooperate. And a lot of times people do turn to food as, you know, a quick and easy way to kind of appease them, to get them to cooperate. But you really need to consider the fact that over time, you're sending the message that, a, you should be rewarding yourself with food, which isn't the message we want to send our children. We want to send the message to our children that, you know, food is a healthy part of the way we fuel our bodies. It's not something that, you know, we utilize as a reward or we use to soothe our emotions. And I think that's really the key message that, you know, we want to remind ourselves of. If you are opting to give your child, you know, a sugary treat to keep them happy or quiet, then you're really sending that message that they're using food in the wrong way. And then, you know, just the whole health ramifications, there's so much out there now about the links between consumption of added sugar 
and health problems later in life. It's not something that's just about, you know, leading to obesity or being overweight. There's so much now linking sugar intake to metabolic disease, to diabetes, um, even to cancers. And so I think it's really important that parents are mindful of the fact that, you know, sugar is everywhere. It's in so many of the foods that we eat. It's in so many of the foods that are marketed towards little kids. And it's really important to try to cut back on it as much as you can, because even if you try to completely cut it out of your kid's diet, they're still going to be exposed to it. And so it is an important thing, and it's something that parents struggle with, but it is in the long term the best thing to do is to really try to minimize that exposure to sugars. Dr. Nicole Avina, so you're a scientist, a speaker, a consultant on nutrition, diet, food, addiction. What is next for you? Oh, geez. (laughs) Maybe vacation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, next is actually I'm I'm working on a new book. So um, I'm doing a book with Kensington, and the book is going to be titled What to Eat When You Want to Get Pregnant. And so so pre-fertility. Yes, yes. And I think, you know, for me, I'm so excited to be working on this book because, you know, there is so much that we can control about our health and there's so much in our food environment that could impact our fertility and has impacts on our hormones. And a lot of people don't realize that even like the packaging that many of the food products that we consume come in, in, they contain endocrine disruptors. And so I'm really excited to work on this book and you know, I'm really looking forward to, you know, helping people understand more about, you know, our food environment and how it can impact your fertility and your health even before you get pregnant. Because I think, you know, it's important to know that a lot of what we're doing these days, we have the ability to plan out pregnancies. Most women are in a situation where they're planning to get pregnant or they're planning out when they want to have a baby. It's not like it was 20 years ago. And so, you know, having the best body, being, you know, in your best nutritional shape and, you know, is really something that a lot of people are keen on learning about and doing before they have a baby. Yeah, you know, I think I saw from the CDC, I think this was about a month ago, um, saying that we actually here in the United States, and I actually think it's in the UK and Ireland, et cetera, are in a bona fide, quote unquote, fertility crisis. Um, I do think that the trend of waiting longer to have uh, to have children is informing that and our environment and some other things. And so this book is going to be very informative for people that, once again, as you said, they're planning. They have to plan and get these things all in place so they have the best natural opportunity to get pregnant instead of going down, you know, the road that you end up spending you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars with invasive hormones, et cetera, trying to assist in getting right. pregnant. Right. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm, I'm really excited to bring this information to people because, you know, I think that the window is just getting a little bit narrower since many women are delaying pregnancy until later in life due to careers or travel or whatever it might be. And, you know, people are starting families older. And so that just means that they have less time that that fertility window is open. So it really makes sense to make sure that you're in your best shape in terms of nutrition and health and you know, I think that the nutrition component is really the missing link that we haven't heard much about. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, do the research on, you know, relaxation techniques and, you know, we, we know all about like minimizing stress. We know all about, you know, exercise, but nutrition plays such an important role in all of this. And I think it's important for people to, you know, learn about that and to, you know, hopefully find that it can, you know, help them make better food choices and, and help them in their fertility journey. 
Yeah, well, well, definitely when that book comes out, we'll have you back on because we want to chat about that. But there you have it, folks. What to feed baby and toddlers if you have any any questions whatsoever you can visit dr nicole avina at her website tell me that again yeah it's dr nicoleavina.com yeah so that's dr not spelled out doctor correct correct yep all right well thank you so much for your incredible work and your prolific work we'll we'll be anxiously awaiting your next publication and mindful listeners again thanks so much for being here and we'll see you next time